Tonight we're in verse 7 of the church there of the, in Philadelphia. The angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write. These things says, He who is holy and he who is true, and he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Interesting, the word Philadelphia is philo aldophus, which is, philo is love, and aldophus is brother in the Greek. And so it's the love of the brother, the church of brotherly love. And we find that the Lord in speaking again says that he's the one who is holy. He's unique in every way. You know, you go into an airport and you sit down and you see all these people and they all look different. I just love going to airports just to look at all the different. It just amazes me how God can make all these people and how they all look so different except for twins that walk by. And that's even stranger. <laughs> they always dress the same and stuff. But God's unique in His ways, in the way He handles Himself, in the way He thinks. And we never would have figured it out in a zillion years if God didn't speak it to us. And one of His main attributes is that He does communicate. He does speak. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So just as God is love and God is light, it is God that he would communicate. He has communicated to us perfectly his nature and his ways, the way he thinks, and the way to salvation. And we find that that way is true. It's amazing how people through history keep bucking the system. They just don't want to believe what the Bible has to say. They just don't want to believe it. Whatever it takes... They don't want to believe it. I was just watching the other night and one of those shows that comes on in search of. And I was watching there and it was saying, is Sodom and Gomorrah, was it ever really in existence? Or is it just a fable or a myth? And I thought, oh, i got to watch this. And as it turns out, an archaeologist a few years back turned up some scrolls which end up being a library during the time of Abraham. And in it it showed commerce giving and trading with Sodom and with Gomorrah. They can't find a trace of it. So they still wonder if it really was there. But these documents prove that there evidently was some trading with these countries that once existed. Of course, when God does a job on a place. He does a job on a place. I wouldn't expect him to find anything. <laughs> Matter of fact, they found something, I'd wonder about God. When he brings fire out of heaven and destroys a place, I mean, he said the thing would be destroyed. It was destroyed. And people are always trying to find the Bible to be true. I remember a few years back when AIDS came out and they were doing all this research and finally they had a panel lined up of all these different scientists and medical doctors and the spokesman came forward and he was going to give his declaration of the great insight how we could curb AIDS in the next generation. Here's what he said. We've discovered that if one man and one woman will get together and stay together for life, the chances of them ever having AIDS is almost zilch. Incredible revelation. Radical. I mean, if we quit having sex with animals and people of the same sex and 
and all this kind of weirdness, then we wouldn't get AIDS. But what does the Bible say in the beginning? In the beginning was Adam and Eve. It didn't say Adam and Steve or Adam and Fido or anything like that. It said Adam and Eve. Not Eves. Not plural. One man and one woman. God said it. He's true. And you won't find any contradiction in the Bible. It says God looked down on the orb of the earth. Columbus took that verse and he went out knowing the world was round when the world believed it was flat. You won't find the world calling it flat anywhere in the Bible. It talked about a round earth. Medically, in any type of science, any type of history, it's going to go into detail. The Bible's been found true at every turn. And now we come to some very important issues in our own lives. What decisions should I make? How should I look at the situation? What should be my attitude? Well, the Bible's clear. The Bible tells us that He's given us all we need for life and for godliness. And He says that He has a way that there would be a light in that path and there would be a lamp in your feet, and it's through the Word of God. And I'll guarantee you, whatever page you turn to in the Bible, it is perfectly true. And tonight, I believe God's Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to you, and it's going to be true. And you need to listen to what the Lord's saying as we hear at the end of each one of these. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. I pray tonight that you hear what God's Spirit is saying to you because it's true. And it says he has the key of David. His throne is going to be forever and ever. In a millennial period, Jesus is going to rule and reign in that great lineage of David for a thousand years on earth, but his reign will go on forever and ever. And God has all power. He opens, but he also can shut. And nothing can change what God shuts, and nothing can change what God opens. God is fully in control. Now man is often deceived at that. Because man thinks he has control because he has a free will. And it is true, you have a free will to make choices. You can choose to get up and walk out of here right now. You can choose not to come here tonight at all. You can choose not to listen. You can choose to go home and get a Pepsi or get a 7-Up. You can make choices, but you're not in control. You don't have power. You don't have might. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You're constantly in situations and you react the worst possible way you could have reacted. And there you are, screaming and yelling at somebody. You didn't wake up that morning going, oh, man, I feel good. I, I just want to go scream and yell at somebody. Quite the opposite. You said, I want to be in control today. I don't want to scream. I don't want to yell. I want to be a patient person. I want to be a person and, and you think I'm going to go work hard today or I'm going to study hard or I'm going to... But you don't do those things. You don't have control. You don't have power. The only one who has control and has power is God Almighty. And He offers you power and control in your life through His Holy Spirit. As you walk in the Spirit, then you can have control. You'll have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, and the self-control. But it only comes through God's power of His Holy Spirit. And God right now is manipulating every person's life on planet Earth. We find that He's not a God who, like so many agnostics like to believe, He just 
you know, put the old top there and, you know, and spin it in earth and, you know, as the world turns. And God's standing back watching this little television screen of planet earth. It's not that way. The Bible tells us that God is in complete control of earth and he's completely involved with earth. We find that he himself clothes every one of the flowers. We find that he makes the grass grow and he knows every piece of sand that turns over. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every bird that falls from the sky. God is definitely involved. And we find that God's Spirit is calling every man to wake up to the fact that he's a sinner and separated from God, that there is a judgment to come, and the only way to escape that judgment is to have a perfect righteousness, to be as holy and as perfect without any spot or wrinkle or blemish. You have to stand before God as if you never sinned. Now, how many of you could ever do that on your own? The Bible says that Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself and that if you will believe upon him, he'll take all your sins away and make it as if you'd never sinned even once. You'd stand as white as snow spiritually in his sight. And so we find that right now, God is opening doors and shutting doors in your life. How many times your way was leading to destruction and God shut that door to try to help curb, to hold back you as you're heading in your own lust or in your own mindset and nothing seemed to be working out right, but you just kept pushing harder and pushing harder and, and God was trying to hold you back as holding back a dam, putting the gate there, trying to hold it back. We find in Romans chapter 2 that finally God gave them over. Men who did not want to worship Him, did not want to give thanks to Him, did not want to bow down to Him, that finally God just opened up the damn gate and let it burst through. And when it burst through, we find that these men ended up in every kind of evil imaginable. And He gives a, literally three verses, became lovers or haters of God. They became arrogant and boasters and boastful and disobedient to parents. They became inventors of evil and they encouraged other people to do that evil as well. And so God has been trying to shut doors in front of you, but yet you do have a free choice, you do have a free will to open that door, but God's trying to hold you back tonight. And tonight, He's opening a door to you that you had come to know Him and to salvation. We find in verse 8, He says, I know your works. Now, See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So for the Christians who are wanting to be led by the Lord, He has opened doors for them to come to know Him. He says, if you seek me, you shall find me. And so God's opening these doors for the Christian to walk with Him and to make the right choices. It just blows my mind sometimes when I look back and God causes me, just opens my eyes over the last few weeks of choices I've made. And I just, one after the next, it was the right choice. And I'm just looking at it going, God, I could have made a hundred different other choices. But yet, Lord, you opened that one door and I walked through it and oh, I just look back and I'm just so blessed. But this church had a little strength. This is a healthy church. We're actually not going to find a lot of rebuke in this church. We're going to find God encouraging this church. The other churches, He rebukes them for the heresies and for the adultery and the fornication and the different things going on amongst them. Here He's encouraging this church, but they have a little strength. I've been a Christian now, following the Lord with my whole heart since I was 15, about five or six years now. 
<laughs> plus a few extra five or six years added on there. It's amazing how you just never feel like you're ever this incredibly strong Christian. <laughs> you never feel like I'm spiritually ready to dominate this kingdom of God stuff. You know, I've got it down. It's always like you're barely making. It takes every bit of strength you have to get in the Word. It takes every bit of strength to pray. You know, and as much as you know to rejoice in trials, and my kids are getting older now, and I, you know, it bothers me some of the things they learn at church sometimes because they come home and they tell me that the horriblest times. Aren't we supposed to rejoice? Yeah, go to your home, go to your room. <laughs> Oh, man, out of the mouth of babes. But it's always like we're barely making it spiritually. And I'll tell you, we're in a spiritual battle. We're getting knocked down so much. But God tells them, you have a little strength, and I'm opening those doors. Keep on going. In the Word, you haven't denied my name. And in verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie... Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. Again, the word Jew is actually, uh, it was a word later on made into a noun, but actually it was a verb, which means a praise or to praise. And we find Paul using this in the book of Romans, where he says that there's people who try to say that they're praising God. In other words, I'm a Jew. But really, they're not. So they're saying, I'm God's chosen people. I'm his elect. I'm following him. But really, let's take the noun and, and put that aside a minute and just use, the, use it in its form as a verb. Are you a praise to God? Is the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth praise to God? Is what you say and what you do praising God? Is your life, if I were to take up your life today and I was to put everything you said and thought and did and put it into a computer and there put in some kind of program to equal praise, would your life today have been a worship and a praise to God? There is a group of people in the church who said that they were praise to God. They were part of God's chosen and they weren't. And he says you're sifting through that and you just keep following the Lord. I'll tell you, people say the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. I have to agree with them. Well, the church makes me sick sometimes. It made God sick. I can, un I can relate to that. It makes me sick sometimes. But the thing is, the door has to be open to anyone who wants to come. There's a lot of people here that have no intentions of getting up tomorrow morning and getting on their knees and saying, Lord Jesus, this is your day you made. I want to rejoice. I want to be glad in it. I want to live the day the way you planned me to live it and to serve you in it. They have no intentions tomorrow to get into God's Word and to read it and to obey it and to follow it. But yet they'll be here at every church service. But yet they have no intentions of ever living out one thing they hear. They say they're a praise of God, but really they don't even know it. But just like Judas, they were a transplant of the devil himself, transplanting him in the church. As Jesus talked about, the tares among the wheat. And he's saying you're just not letting all those things stumble you, and you're just pressing on, keeping on. And he says everybody's going to come and worship someday before the Lord's feet and also before their feet. And I'll tell you, someday 
when the Bible says when we when the Lord comes in a second coming that us, us the ten thousands of his saints are coming with the Lord those who have truly believed in him will be raptured with the church and there for seven years will be with the Lord when the earth is going through an incredible tribulation period the end of that seven year period the Lord and everybody who's really did know the Lord and was following him will be coming back with him and there it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord and so there we'll be right next to the Lord and there at our feet and the Lord's feet will be all the people who didn't really trust him will be bowed down saying you are Lord but unfortunately it won't make any difference for their internal destiny at that point because they're not saying he is Lord because their hearts have been given over to repentance and sorry for following the devil and sinning and living a life of their own pleasure and their own wantonness but instead it's a reality before them just like if you went to Paris and said I'm in Paris when you see Christ coming again they're gonna say he is Lord but unfortunately it's too late at that point and he's saying you're gonna experience that hang on and in verse 10 because you've kept my command to persevere I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth so again he's talking about the tribulation period now in verse 10 because you've kept my command to preserve now we've talked about this in almost every single letter because the Lord brings it up he who perseveres to the end he says and he gives the different promises to be seated with him to have a new name uh, to be in heaven with him and we find in the letters that God changes our character and gives us that ability to persevere keep trusting in him through trials trials come into our life it says let that trial have its perfect work why because it produces that perseverance and one of the clear signs of a person who is a Christian is they will rejoice when God's turning up the heat in their life turning up the heat in their relationships turning up the heat in their finances turning up the heat with their job situation turning up the heat with their parents or with their kids or with whatever God's turning the heat up and it's a trial in your life and the reason is is because if you can't trust in God through your finances when the end of the times comes and the church is being persecuted you definitely won't trust in him then if you're not trusting in God with this relationship now you definitely won't trust in him when you're going through severity through these last days that we're going to be in when the doctrine of the demons are going to get more and more intense when the world's going to get more and more evil you won't be trusting in him then so he's trying to build up your faith now through these little fires so when the big fires come you'll be standing firm in him and so it's important that we let those trials have the perfect work and we rejoice and these people they had little strength but it didn't matter Jesus says if you have the size of a mustard seed of faith it's enough we look at the church and we see right after the Lord had been raptured up and not too much longer James had been killed with a sword and Peter was going to also be killed and he was in prison in the church they got together and they were praying for Peter's release an angel of the Lord came and he took Peter supernaturally out of prison and he went over to the house where they were praying and the servant girl opened the door and Peter said hey it's me let me in and she screamed shut the door oh you know and they went in and said you won't believe this there's a spirit outside you know it can't be Peter he's in prison but yet they were praying for his release 
Peter keeps on banging and they go out again and they just had a hard time believing it. It must be Peter's spirit or something. It can't be him because he's in prison. Although they were praying for his release. Jesus in Luke 18 says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So again, in these last days, we just got to be like that turtle every day. Just a little bit of ground, a little bit of ground, a little bit of ground, a little of God's word, time and prayer. Rejoice in that trial. Rejoice in that trial. Another day. Sun sets. Sun rises. I trust in God. Another day. Each and every step faithfully, consistently following the Lord is building you up in your spiritual man. And although it may be difficult and it may not seem like you're making a lot of ground, um, probably why God made the turtle so he can't look back, you know, uh, depress him or something, you know. He thinks he's doing great. He really didn't go very far at all. But it doesn't matter. He's going to make it to the finish line if he just keeps moving forward. And so uh, we find there that he says if you keep that perseverance and if you're allowing God to try your life down and rejoicing in that, believe me, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about in these last days. I've had a lot of people say, man, I'm... Things are really going bad in our country and, and this and that and they're giving me all the different things and I, I just said, I just praise God, man. Because the poorer our country gets, the more evil our political leaders get, all of these things are going to cause oppression on the people and when people are oppressed, what do they do? They cry out to God. <laughs> I said, that's all I care about anyway. Just people crying out to God, saying, Lord, help. Boy, what a great first step. That's where all of us need to be. So nothing shakes me. Nothing bothers me as far as politically or economically in the, in the world around. It doesn't matter because we know the souls of men. Now, if we were becoming richer and richer and everything was going better and I saw the church unhealthy and I saw everybody spiritually wrapped up in everything except the Lord and, and things were just, and our country kept getting richer and spiritually kept getting worse, I would be worried then. Because I don't see any out where people are going to be humbled and going to be broken. But right now, the way our direction of our country is just humbleness and brokenness and poverty and difficulty and sufferings, all those things cause people to get their eyes on God. So I'm excited. There's great times coming spiritually. Any other way, if your heart's set on anything else, you may be very disappointed. But if your heart's set on spiritual things, great times are coming. So if we persevere, he says, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. We as Christians are not going to be in any part of the tribulation period. Some people say, well, we'll be here for the first three and a half years. Some people say, we'll be here for the full seven years, and God's going to protect us. I don't buy that. I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. We see lots. There in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord tells Abraham, hey, I'm getting ready to destroy that place. And the Lord says, my nephew is down there and his family, and he says, man, would you destroy the place? And he starts throwing out these numbers. Uh, there's a hundred righteous people? No. And Well, if there's 50 righteous? No. What if there's 40 righteous? No. What if there's 30 righteous? No. Tell me, would you destroy the place if there's any righteous people there at all is basically what it came down. And God said, no way. I wouldn't destroy the place even if there's one righteous person there. And so in the same way, God's not going to leave any loose Christians around, uh, you know, Oh, man, look at that monster uh, beetle coming after us. Wanting to sting us. Oh, let's get out of here. Oh, God help us, you know. It's not going to be happening. Uh, we're going to be up there with uh, full seven-year season tickets. 
watching the whole thing and uh, we won't be experiencing any pain or suffering at all. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation. And we go on to see there in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. It's amazing when people are looking at spiritual truths, how they have to somehow include the whole world before they'll believe. And they'll start, well, what about the pygmies out in the middle of New Guinea? How does this apply to them? You know, and what about the unborn person who's, you know, died in the womb? And, uh, you know, what about all the street people? Who, or what about the retarded people? And what about the, you know, and they go on and on and <clears throat> trying to include it. And it's like, hey, the gospel's not coming to them. It's coming to you. Where are you at spiritually? Well, the pastor, well, the elders, well, there's some people in the church. It doesn't matter. Where are you? That's what matters. And when it comes right down to it, I can't affect anybody else spiritually. I can't save somebody. I can't help somebody believe in God. I can't help somebody to read their Bible. I can't help somebody to pray. I can't help somebody to rejoice in their trials. I can't help somebody to follow. I can't do it. None of us can because the kingdom of God begins within you. It has to be a spiritual change in your life where you see, I am a sinner. I'm wicked. I am so sinful. Now, how does that apply to all the unborn children? How does that apply to retarded? Hey, it doesn't matter. How about you? Do you see your wicked condition? Do you see that your sinfulness is separating you from God? And if you die in that sinful condition, you're going to go to hell forever and ever and ever. Now, you may not have all your questions answered, but here's the question. Where are you spiritually? The Bible says God's Spirit is telling everybody they're a sinner. Are you, do you have ears to hear tonight that you are a sinner? Okay, then. Now we can go to the next step. Do you believe that God loves you and that He died for you and He wants to take that sin out of your life and give you the gift of eternal life? God wants to forgive you tonight more than you want to be forgiven. God wants to take your guilt of your staying life and all your sin. He wants to take that away more than you can imagine. He doesn't want you living in that guilt. Jesus came that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. God is so for you, it's amazing. He wants to save you tonight a zillion times more than you want to be saved. But you have a complete choice to say yea or nay to God. And so here you are. You've heard messages. You've been in a church several times. But you know you're not in the Word. You know you don't pray. You know that you're not seeking God. You know you have no intentions of following God. You're following what seems best to you. You're trying to work things out the slickest way you possibly can. But yet your heart's not broken saying, God, what is your way? I don't care how hard it is. I don't care if it doesn't benefit me or not. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, what's your way, God? I want to walk in it. If you're in that position, hang on there. The Lord's going to come with fervency. When it says he's coming quickly, it's not necessarily a time period. It's a, it's a, it's a word of swiftness. He's going to come as a thief in the night, as it talks about in the blink of an eye. The Lord's going to come and 
Before you know it, you're going to be together with Him and all those who have trusted in Him. Hang in there. If you're in the Word, if you're in prayer, you're seeking God, you're living His way, even if it's not benefiting you in the here and now, hang in there. Hold fast what you have. And don't let anyone take that away from you. That's the whole point of Christianity is just plugging away, following the Lord. If you don't have that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a religion, you know all the, all the Bible stories, but you don't have a daily walk with Jesus Christ, wake up, man. Because you have to have that. You're going to have to know Jesus Christ personally. He's the only one who holds the keys to heaven and to hell. And you can't have known about Him. You've got to know Him personally. And it says in verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Living the Christian life, man, it's just incredible. And when we someday are in heaven and we're with the Lord, it is going to be so awesome to be cruising down Heaven Boulevard. To be looking at the structure that God's been building now for 2,000 years for us. To see our mansion that's been waiting for us. To see an angel. Just to see those wild and crazy looking guys trumpets and those other instruments to be seated at that marriage supper of the Lamb and to know that you have a place there at that table. You're going to be with the Lord forever and ever in a place there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. It's all going to be worth it. Right now, Christianity may not seem like it's paying off to you. If you're a young person here tonight, I know it's hard because you haven't learned how to pace yourself yet. You know, it's like they get in a relationship with a boy and a girl. It's like, oh, I love that person. I'm going to be together the rest of their life. Here they are, 15 years old. This is it. I'm going to marry this person, you know. 20 relationships later. <laughs> Five years later. It's amazing. When you start getting older, so they tell me, you see things at a farther stretch. And you just start planning for longer range goals. Christianity may not pay off today. It may not pay off next week. You may have been living the Christian life here for two or three or four dozens of years. And the amount of effort you put into it, the amount of persecution, the amount of trials, doing things God's way hurts so bad sometimes. And yet, here you are, still struggling, still going through so much. And you're going, hey man, when's the payday? It's coming. And when it pays, believe me, it pays big. i found when you live the Christian life for a long extended period of time and nothing seems to be going your way, the blessing's always greater. I know as a young Christian, I think God used to bless me every other day or something as I needed it to keep believing in Him, you know? And then i just see months of like, Lord, where are you at? And where are the answers to my prayers? And it's like, when He finally does begin to, that blessing, it's like, whoa, man, I'm glad... You waited on that. It's sort of like you saved up for me a little bit. But it still never pays off the hardship there is to be a Christian. 
But I'll tell you, hang in there, folks, because it pays in a big way once we see the Lord and are with Him forever. We find in the Laodicean church in verse 14, there to the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Modern translation says, blow chunks. The word cold here is the word for, it's the extreme word for cold, icy cold. And he's saying that, I wish you'd never heard about me. I wish that you were that pygmy out in the middle of New Guinea somewhere. I wish you were that unborn child. I wish you were that retarded person that can't figure out what's going on in the world around him. I wish you were somebody that was just like Hitler or something, had no thoughts of God. I would rather, I can tolerate a person like that better than I can tolerate a person who knows about me, who knows about the Bible, who may even have two or three of them stacked up at home but never reads them, who knows what's right and what's wrong and does wrong and doesn't even bother him. He says, I just can't handle that. It just, I just get sick to my stomach when I see those kind of people, the Lord says. And there's times that we have a sickness, you know, it's not leukemia or cancer. In the same way, it's not a headache. It's, it's something more. It's something that's bothering me. It's like, ah, oh, I think I got the flu or something. It's like this poison or something in my system, and I just, ah, oh, I feel gross. And God's saying that's what these people are like. It's like a poison in my stomach. And I've got to get it out. You know, and it's like, when you're sick like that, it's like, I don't know about you, I'm a big baby, I hate throwing up. It's like, oh, no, 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 you know. My wife's like, oh, I think I'm going to go throw up. She goes in and, blah, you know, comes out. Oh, you ready to go? You know, it's like, she's fine. I'm not that way. I, when I've got to throw up, it, it's this big thing. I mean, it's like... I'll fight it for hours and hours and hours and, you know, go through counseling sessions and, you know, I, it's just a horrible thing to me. I hate doing that. And God's just there with this poison in his system. We find in John chapter 15, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he casts it out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are pruned. Having grown up in the valley, I have pruned a lot of grapevines. And you learn real quick what to look for. There's some vines that are just puny looking. They look all old and withered. But they're really good, healthy branches. They just need another year or two to chance to grow. You just nip them at the very end a little bit and they grow. But then there's these other branches and they're real big and they're real green and they're real long and they're, they look so healthy and you, you just go out. I mean, if somebody said, here's some pruners, go out and, and uh, prune that. I mean, I would have cut all the wrong ones off and left these big, we call, they're called sucker branches. They actually will never bear fruit. But right after the, the grapes 
are pulled, these sucker branches grow and they grow real big and healthy and green. And so in the wintertime when you're pruning back, they look like, wow, these, these grapevines are really growing good this year. But as soon as you prune them, it's like going, oh no, what happened to them? Is there, any, is there ever going to be grapes on this vine at, at all? So God knows. And there are certain people, and boy, they look, they're vibrant, and they look all healthy, and boy, they're dressed well, and they look well, and but they're really not. They're a big sucker branch. And they're taking the sap out of the vine, and God knows that they're never going to bear fruit. And he takes them away, cuts them off, and throws them into the fire. And Jesus here is saying that there's this place of people spiritually where they're just, they become numb. They can't ever hear what my spirit's saying. They hear it. It goes in their ears. They laugh. They cry. But yet when it comes to their life, it never changes. And he goes on to say that then there's those who are hot, who are on fire. The word there is zestos, where we get our word zesty from. People who are vibrant Christians. He says, I want one or the other. Many commentaries over the years have said, many, many famous preachers said they would much rather go out to a person who's never heard the gospel and preach than to ever have to take over a church who's heard the gospel preached for years and never responded. There's more hope for a Hitler who's never heard or some guy who's totally living an abominable life who's never heard than for someone who's been in the church their whole life and now is have a deaf ear or has a numb ear to what the gospel has to say. Our whole nation, unfortunately, falls in the category of lukewarm, believing they have life, and they don't. They're dead. 84% of America claims to be Christian, and America is right here in this building tonight as well. And he says that that poison has to get out of his system. And he goes on in verse 17, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, I do not know that you are and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You've come to look at your sins as, well, it's that thing I struggle with. And God's saying, it's wretched. You've come to find not being in the Word and not being in prayer and not obeying God's Word as, well, I should do better. And God's going, you're naked. You're poor. You're totally a broken, feeble individual. As far as when it comes to character and to honesty and to love and to serve and to obey God's word and to, and to give and to be a light of the world and to be a salt, when it comes to the things that really count, you're nothing. You're non-existent. But yet you see yourself as that vibrant Christian, but you're not. When it comes to that person who doesn't know the Lord coming to know the Lord, your neighbor, the person you buy groceries at, the people you work at, they never come to know Christ. They weren't invited to the harvest, last harvest that we had here. They aren't invited to church to hear the gospel. When it comes to being able to encourage another Christian, 
there's no scripture at the tip of your tongue or something you've read that day that totally ministered to you now that you can pass on and minister to them. You're just this weak, shriveled up prune spiritually. But yet when things are going okay on the outside, a lot of times you can't see your own spiritual weakness. But notice God's desire in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. So what's God's word? Are they words of condemnation? No. It's words of a doctor speaking to his patient. Patient comes in and says, oh, I've never felt better. And as he takes the different medical instruments and begins to give you a physical, and he finds the heart's not beating right, and he finds some growth inside your body that you didn't know you had, or he finds that your ear is not responding right, or your eyes, you thought your eyes were fine, just, you know, the whole world was just becoming more blurry. It wasn't me. Thought it was a smog or something. And he's just simply telling you, your eyesight's not right. Your ears, something's not right with them. Inside your heart, there's this callousness, and it's, it's getting thicker by the day, and it's causing some major spiritual clots in your life, and it's going to eventually cause a spiritual death to you. He's not saying it to condemn you. There's not any words of condemnation. He's a doctor saying, listen, you've got to get on some medicine and quick. What is that medicine? He says, man, I love you. And I'm rebuking you. I'm chasing you. Why? So you'd be zealous and repent. Repent is to turn around the opposite direction from which you're going. And he says there, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. Interesting enough, Laodicea was one of the chief economical capitals of this day. They had there some of the most costly garments. They had all the fashionable clothes were made in Laodicea. Very expensive place to live and a very great place to have a job uh, to get wealthy. And so physically these people on the outside economically were in good shape at the spa every day and great, wearing great clothes. But spiritually they were bankrupt. The answer is to be zealous, to be eager to repent. And the Lord says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. How incredible. God's saying just like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. In those days, too, they didn't have fast food restaurants couldn't go in and say, hey, give me the chips and salsa right now, man. Give me a glass of water and, hey, while the food's cooking, I can be munching down here. It wasn't that way. In those days, it would take a very long time to eat. You'd sit at the table for a long time. Then somebody would finally bring you a cloth to wash your hands. And then a time later, they may bring out a little piece of bread to eat. Then a little time later, another. It's usually a full seven-course meal. Little by little, it would be brought out. 
No, they didn't bring out a big plate of food. Each dish would be brought out. A lot of the Oriental uh, cultures today still have that. They don't bring the, the rice and the vegetables and the meat and everything at once. Just one by one. And what's Christ saying? I'll spend time with you, man. I want to be with you. There's probably nothing more heartbreaking for a parent to hear from his kid than they don't want to spend time with you. Breaks your heart. You want to spend time with them. When they're young, they want to spend time with you, and it breaks their heart when you don't want to spend time with them. When they get older, they all they want is the key, and you say, sit down here and let's talk, you know. And, okay, what do you want? <laughs> they're dangling the keys, shaking them, and, uh, yeah, anything else, Dad? Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I got to go. See you later. Out you go. And here you are wanting to spend time. God's saying, hey, you need a definite healing in your life. Spiritually, you're dying. It's going to affect every area of your life. It's going to affect every decision you make. It's going to affect every place you go. It's going to affect every person you talk to. Can't you see? It's also going to affect where you're going in the future. These people who either did not know the Lord at all or had spiritually had kept going down and down and down to a place where they were spending no time with the Lord at all. And God says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I'm not, although I'm concerned with the people here tonight who have never come to know the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to know the Lord. Those people are neat because they see their sinful condition and they hear the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and their heart's just inside going, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. Oh, why haven't I heard of this years earlier? Never forget when I was working at a tire manufacturing company my, between my senior and my freshman year of college and I was talking to a guy there and I just want to talk to him about Jesus and I said, man, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he said, Jesus who? And I said, Jesus Christ. Christ? What's that? And I said, man, don't you know anything about Christianity? Christian what? This guy had never heard anything at all. I said, have you ever seen a building with one of these things on it? He goes, yeah, I've seen some of those before. What, isn't that like a Kiwanis Club or uh, you know some social organization? What is that? I said, man, it's a cross. He had not an idea of it. I, I just began to explain to him. It's so fun because like never heard any of it. And he was just, every day it was just like story time. Tell me some more, man. After the first day, he received the Lord. I gave him a Bible and he just read the whole thing. He just loved it. thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened. But yet there's this other group of people who have spiritually put Christ way down on their priority list and have spiritually become so weak that they can't even hear. And there the Lord's knocking at the door of their heart. They have no guilt. They have no conviction. And someone says, hey, the Lord's knocking at the door of your heart. If you'll open that door... Do you hear someone knocking at you? Oh, yeah, that guy's been knocking out there for a long time. He'll be there for a long time more. I mean, it, yeah, he, he's there. God's great. He's out there knocking on the door. I hear him. Yep. Sure, that's great. But yet your heart's not even grabbed a hold of to open that door to say, Christ, come in. Look at what a mess this place is. Look at what a mess I've made out of these relationships. Look at what a mess I've made out of my not reading your word every day and, and praying and knowing your ways and walking in them. 
oh yeah, great furniture, sure, nice. Economically, sure, things are decorated fine here, but spiritually, God, I'm, I'm empty and I'm lonely and I keep trying to fill it up and I started doing drugs again the other day and sat with some friends and I just, I didn't want to go home and I went out to one of those happy hours and I, I didn't want to talk about what happened. I can't believe I got back into that. I remember back before I was a Christian, I used to sit and watch TV for 10 hours a day and then I just went to Bible studies and I read the Word and I'm back to watching hours of television every night. It's just bumming me out. Just wanting to go from one movie to the next. I'm wanting to go from one... I'm trying to find some excitement in my life. I got into this hobby and I got into this and I started... I joined this group over here and I'm trying to find some meaning and purpose in my life by... Hey, open that door again. You, you never straightened up your life to begin with. The only things that ever got straight in your life is when God came in. Jesus says when a demon goes out of a man, that it goes into the wet place and the dry places and it looks for something else to inhabit, whether another animal or another person. But it's very hard to find people who have been opened up to demonism. And so he goes back and he gets seven more demons worse than himself. And they come and they find that person swept, neat, put in order, but empty. And they grab a hold of that man and the second state of that man was worse than its first state. There's a lot of people who come to make a moral declaration of I'm going to do better in the future. I'm going to start being nicer to my parents. I'm going to start talking nicer to my wife. I'm going to be a better employee. God doesn't want that kind of declaration. God wants you to open the door of your heart and let Him come in and be the Lord of your life for the first time. Well, I just said I was going to divorce that guy. I just told that girl I'm going to divorce her. I am just told that kid to get out of my house if he's not going to act like that around here. I told that boss, you know, here you are, being the Lord of your life, making these major decisions that's totally changing the outcome of your tomorrow and your next week and your next year decisions you may have to live with the rest of your life. Why? Because Christ is not at the helm of your life. He's not holding the reins of your life. You need to ask the Lord to come into your life and to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Let's bow our heads for a moment.